the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's the Tuesday show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and we're here to take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions. Whatever is on your heart or mind, uh, we have a diversity of questions today, so um, we'll get to those. But we'd love to have your live phone calls. 340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call us toll-free by calling uh, 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email your questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. You can also, if you're driving in your car, use the free KSLR mobile app to connect to the studio producer. Uh, Also, our free Calvary Chapel mobile app uh, is available to take your questions and bring them directly to us as well. Hey, today I'm, I'm feeling a little old. Our grandson, our first grandson, turns 15 today. Um, Paul and I have been spending the morning wondering where the time has gone. And then tomorrow uh, is our son's birthday, uh, our youngest son, Terry. Uh, we would appreciate your prayers for him. And then also Pastor Ken's daughter, Nia, is uh, her birthday's tomorrow. So we got a busy, busy time coming up for birthdays. You know, when you have more grandkids and kids, it gets expensive sometimes around birthdays and things. But uh, Ari is 15 today. Keep him in your prayers, please. One more time, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Um, Victor, we'll start with your question. Victor says, I know we can't say when the rapture is coming, but do you think it's close? Victor, I hope it is. That wasn't dead air. That was me just hoping that Jesus would come in that instant. But, Victor, I, I do believe that the return of the Lord is near. Um, uh, the, the problem that we have with this, and let me kind of flesh this out a little bit, because the problem that we have with thinking that Jesus is coming soon, uh, my idea of soon and God's idea of soon are two different soons. We have to understand that Peter said that God is patient, and he was addressing this very question, by the way. Where is this coming you keep talking about? Well, God's not slacking concerning his promise. God is patient, unwilling that any perish. So the longer Jesus delays, the purpose of that delay is to win people into the family of God. So the rapture is something we should look forward to in the sense that we're going to be with God. We're going to see him. He is the object of our faith. Peter calls him the goal, being with him the goal of our salvation. At the same time, They're objects of his love that haven't yet given their heart to Jesus Christ. So, Victor, I I really believe with all my heart we're seeing um, a perfect description of the very last days that Paul described in writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, Paul's last um, letter in the Bible. Um, If we look at those things, then 
then uh, I think we, we've got to, to, to legitimately agree that, that the, the, the end is near and the rapture of the church is the next thing on the prophetic calendar. On the other hand, our job as Christians isn't to look for that moment of the rapture. That's not the object, not escaping trouble, not, not finding the easy way out. But using whatever time that we have, using all of our strength and energy to win those people. I've said this on the program before, but Paul and I, uh, one of our constant prayers and something that we talk about often is that today might be the last person who gets saved. And then we can all go be with Jesus and that will be wonderful. But in the meantime, how much more thrilling is it at least from Jesus' perspective, and his perspective needs to be our perspective, how much more thrilling is it when somebody that he's waiting for sort of gets crossed off the list so we can wait for the next one? So, Victor, yeah, nobody knows when the rapture's coming. Rather than Jesus is coming soon, I think we should sort of rephrase that and say that Jesus is coming suddenly whenever it is that he decides to come. It'll happen in an instant, in a twinkling of an eye. But that day isn't today, at least not yet today. So in the meantime, we have the opportunity to pray for people that aren't saved. We have the opportunity to to witness to people wherever it is that we go. And that should be our focus, occupying till he comes. So I hope that answers your question. You know, Victor, um, phones are quiet, so let me take just another minute with this question. When I was a brand new believer... And I've shared with you before on this program that I, I didn't have any church baggage. I had no church background at all. And as a brand new believer, one of the, the men that was used by the Lord to, to help bring me to him, uh, he took me out to breakfast one day and, and he said, uh, uh, well, I, I brought you out here because I want to talk to you about the rapture. And I said, well, what is the rapture? And he explained it just like this. He said, you know, you see all these people in the restaurant? Well, Jesus is coming back for his church. And if that happens right now, then our clothes will still be here right in the middle of our breakfast. Now, I started to eat a little bit faster at that point, but right in the middle of our breakfast, uh, we'll just be gone and people will be wandering around and looking uh, uh, what, what happened to those people. It'll be a really terrible time, a time of terror because nobody will know what happened to their loved ones. Well, Christians are going to go be with Jesus. And then he looked at me like that was a satisfactory explanation. And I have to tell you, Victor, at that moment, I thought, what have I gotten myself into? I'm a brand new Christian, and he's going to tell me there's going to be a sudden disappearance, a sudden snatching away. And it was at that moment I began to study eschatology. I wanted to know if this rapture thing was just science fiction. That's what it sounded like to me. Or if it was real, glorious, I can report to all of you, it is real, it is wonderful, and I can't wait. So, Victor, I hope that helps. Here's a related question. Joseph says, what's the difference between the rapture and the second coming? Well, the rapture, Joseph, is not Jesus coming to earth. Jesus is going to meet those of us who are his Uh, and live on the earth. He's going to meet us in the air. He's going to call us. In John, uh, Revelation chapter 4, written by the Apostle John, um, uh, John hears the the, the angel Lord say, come up here. Uh, That's a picture of the rapture of the church. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and come up here. Well, when we uh, hear that call, we're not going to meet Jesus here on earth. He's not coming for us here. He's going to be in the air. We're going to meet him in the air, and then he's going to take us to be with him for the period of the rapture, seven years. I always find it fascinating to to, to sort of wrestle mentally with this idea that we're going to be there for seven years, but, but the moment we're there, we're going to live outside of time and space. But that's the rapture of the church. The second coming is entirely different. Revelation chapter 9 uh, describes it uh, in detail. Chapter 19, rather. Uh, describes it in detail. And that's when Jesus will come. He'll set his feet on the Mount of Olives. It will split in two. uh, And he will destroy his enemies with his word, with just the the sword of his mouth. 
And that's the second coming. That's when he's coming to set things right. And as he destroys his enemies, that's judgment. Um, there'll be a time, a short time, where um, the dead will have to be disposed of. Um, and then we enter into the millennial reign of Christ on earth, where things will be not perfect, but restored on the way to perfection. Um, so the, the return of Jesus on earth is to establish his kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, Jesus told us to pray. That's the time that it's looking forward to. If you want to read about that time, uh, beginning in the prophet Isaiah's book, uh, beginning in chapter 60, read the rest of the books because it deals in, in, in quite a lot of detail uh, about the, um, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. So, uh, Joseph, that's the difference. One, Jesus is coming for us. We'll meet him in the air. The next time, the second coming, Jesus will be coming with us. He will bring those of us that, that he loves, those who are saved. He will bring us with him when he returns to earth, and we will, in some fashion or form that we're not given any detail about, we will uh, be able to uh, rule and reign with Jesus, whatever that means and whatever it's going to look like. So, I hope that helps. 340-9585 or toll-free 1-877-630-KSLR. Here's an anonymous question, and I'm not surprised it's anonymous. Um, he says, Oh, before I get that, let me go. We got a phone call. Somebody just pointed out to me, so let me get that. Um, let's go to Ray on line one. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. In the vein that you're talking about, and as you've said uh, previously on occasion, uh, there's some uh, born again that will just barely make it in with their coattails smoking, and I wonder if there's any correlation to the idea that uh, in my in my father's house are you know many many in in his, many rooms different different rooms and stuff for you know the various uh, I don't know do you know what I'm hedging around? Yeah, I I think so, Ray. And, and, you, and um, you've also mentioned previously about uh, uh, losing out uh, crowns. Uh, oh, I had this for you and that. And if that ties in, uh, I, I, it just came while I was listening to you. And if you can bring any of your thoughts to there, that would be great. And I'll listen on the radio. Thank you, Ray. I, I, I understand what you're saying. First of all, when Jesus is in my Father's uh, house or, or many rooms, King James uses the word mansions, it's not referring to uh, what we would see as rooms. It's referring to prepared human bodies. Jesus said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And he prepares the place by giving us his righteousness and perfection. And when we enter into the domain of heaven, we, we receive our glorified bodies. So that's very, very important to understand. It's not a reference to different levels of heaven, although there are different levels of reward. And I believe, personally, different levels uh, of capacity in order to, to enjoy heaven based on the works that we do here. Um, but but this is simply only the rooms. It's John chapter 14, right? Uh, but the reference to um, the, the, the what I call, jokingly, the smoking section of heaven, uh, it's, it's from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And let me read some passages here, or some of the verses, and then I'll, I'll sort of unpack them a little bit. Um, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12 says, If any man builds on this foundation the foundation of Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Um, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or stubble, his work will be shown for what it is because the day, the day there is capitalized in the NIV, that means it's judgment day, the day we stand before the Lord, that day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he believes, or if what he's built survives, he will receive his reward. If it's burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So uh, when I talk about the smoking section of heaven, I, I don't mean it's literally, when we get to heaven, heaven is going to be great. 
But the idea is this is a judgment for works. This is not a judgment for salvation at all. This is a judgment for works. In other words, what we do and why we do it and for whom we do it is going to be tested. I can do a wonderful, wonderful thing, but if I didn't do it to advance the cause of Christ, if I didn't do it born from gratitude for what every, for, for, for everything Jesus has done for me, then there's no reward for that. And so that work would be what I call the wood, hay, and stubble work. Uh, if your work is tried at this judgment and it's found to have all the right motives, it was done in obedience to the Lord, then it's a work that will receive rewards. Those are the, the gold, silver, and costly stones work. So that's what Paul's talking about. And it's not the person who's going to burn. It's the work that's going to burn. In other words, if we suffer loss, it's because the work didn't pass the test. We did it for us. We did it with the wrong motive. We did it selfishly. We did it to be noticed by other people. There's all kinds of motives that will render our works uh, without um, uh, ability to receive a reward. And, of course, what I always say is if you're you're not going to get a reward for what you've done, then there's no point in doing it. When we talk about giving here at our church at Calvary Chapel, uh, our announcer says every week, give because you love God. If there's any other reason to give, uh, then don't give. And we we say that. And we're a church that really needs the money. So telling people not to give, uh, it means something to us. So what we do is we say give because you love God or don't give at all. Because what we want to see is people get rewarded for the work they do. Rewarded in heaven for the work that's done here. And that's the same principle for everything that we do. We can say I'm serving God, but if we're doing it to advance our own cause, if we're doing it uh, with any ulterior motive, um, then there's simply not going to be a reward. And and, uh, sadly, there's going to be a lot of people who get to heaven. uh, They're born-again Christians. Um, but they're going to find that the works that they did had no value in heaven because they had the wrong motive, were done for the wrong reasons. There's, um, that will be a tragic time. I, I don't know how I can describe heaven as having this tragic time, but there will be this moment when we look at Jesus, when he intended to give us a crown of righteousness. Paul says, now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, not only for me, but for all those who love the Lord's appearing. Well, when we get those crowns, we're going to cast them down at his feet. It's not that we want the crown. It's just going to be an indication that we did it for Jesus, and Jesus is pleased with the work that we did. That's what I mean. It's the work, not the person who's going to make it to heaven as one barely escaping through the flames. Again, we're going to be saved. Born-again Christians are. But isn't it true that we all want our rewards? You know, uh, Ray, I had somebody not too long ago come to me after service. I mentioned this passage in a, in a Bible study. And uh, they came to me and said, well, well, Pastor, I'm not doing works to get noticed in heaven or get a reward. I'm just doing them because I love Jesus. And and I said, well, that's great for you. But Jesus said that we need to want these crowns. So we want to be recognized. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. So when we go out sharing our faith... Jesus is getting the glory, and he wants to reward us from that, for that, rather. I, I don't want to disappoint him at all. I don't want to miss out on a single thing, and I'm sure it's too late. I'm already going to miss out on some things. But the truth is, I want everything that heaven has for me. I want the greatest capacity imaginable to be able to serve uh, the Lord. So uh, I, I want my rewards, and I think that's what Jesus tells us to do. So, Ray, I hope that makes it a little bit more clear. 340-9585, here is the question that is anonymous I told you about. Um, he, He says, I don't see what's wrong with pornography if it keeps a man from cheating. Anonymous, I want you to think about what you just said, what you just wrote. The only way that you can control your lust is by looking at pornography. Is that what you're saying? Are you saying that you're a slave to your lust? 
And see, it doesn't matter that you see what's wrong with pornography. What matters is what Jesus says. And in his word, we're talking about sexual immorality. The, the Greek word is porneia. We get our English word pornography from it. And it's all forms of sexual activity that is not between a husband and a wife. And when you're looking at a computer screen, you're causing so much pain, so much damage. Normally, and because I don't know you, if you'd give me a name, I would I would make this personal, but it's not personal. Somebody in my church came up to me and made this comment. I would ask him to get saved. Do you want to be saved? And if he said to me, well, I already am saved, I would say, well, then what do you mean? You can't control your own lust. Does the Spirit of God live in you, or does he not? If he does... It's a spirit of righteousness. And you're simply quenching the spirit by your disobedience. So if that's what it takes to keep you from cheating on your wife, the gift from God, the one that you've promised to love and honor and cherish, then you've got some problems that you need to deal with between you and the Lord. Let me tell you what's wrong with it. As a pastor for 22 and a half years, I have seen so many women who were absolutely broken, devastated because their husbands didn't find them attractive enough to keep them from looking at pornography. I've seen women trying to compete with the images of younger, thinner women in some pornographic video. I've seen women wondering what's wrong with them when the man that promised to protect them is defiling their marriage bed. Hebrews 13 says to keep the marriage bed pure, undefiled. Not only that, but you're putting your wife in an impossible situation because she'll never, ever be able to measure up to the images in your mind. And remember this, Anonymous, Paul says all other sins, other than sexual immorality, all other sins are committed outside a man's body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. The, the, the implication there is very clear that we give Satan a deeper inroad. And lust, our lust, when we give ourselves over to it, is insatiable. And because it is, then we keep trying to feed it. All the while, your wife is suffering in pain. Finally, I'll say this. Looking at pornography is cheating. It is cheating. You're cheating your wife out of the marriage partner that you promised you'd be. You're cheating Jesus because you're out of fellowship with him. So anonymous again, if you went to this church, I would say you need to get saved. If you would protest that you are saved I would say then you need to really really start wrestling with this issue of sexual sin my bible your bible anonymous says that people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God it doesn't mean you lose your salvation but often people with the attitude that you have toward pornography I never had it in the first place. Being born in church, raised in church, making an altar call, being baptized. None of that makes you a Christian. Those are things that you do because you are a Christian and God's touched your heart. But remember this, the Holy Spirit lives in Christians. And if you have the Holy Spirit, then every time you commit this horrible sin, it's going to trash your heart. The conviction is going to be so deep that it's going to destroy all the fun. The, the momentary pleasure, I understand that. But it's going to destroy any value in the experience because you're going to feel dirty. And then you're going to do guilt. 
and then you either get over it and do it again, or you'll decide at some point, I'd rather please Jesus than please me. It's a very, very important question. 340-9585, we're coming to the end of the first half of the program. Um, rather than go to another question, let me just say this. I cannot quantify the amount of damage I've seen in people's lives based on pornography. It is, I've said this many times, the besetting sin amongst men primarily, not only in the New Testament church, because we have pornography on our phones, now on our watches, (laughs) on our computer screens, because all you have to do is shut a door and go to a website. It's a trap the enemy is causing many, many, many to fall into. Flee from sexual immorality. That's what God's Word says. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. You're listening to the Word to Send for Life. We'd love to have your calls and questions. We'll be back in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the tuesday program 340-9585 here is a question from tom tom says what does it mean to be a red-letter Christian? Well, Tom, normally it means that people that identify themselves that way aren't really Christians at all. Here's why I say that. A red-letter Christian is somebody who has rejected the Bible, everything except that which is in red letters, that which was spoken by Jesus. I'll give you another example. A red-letter Christian would say, well, if homosexuality was a sin, then Jesus would have said something about it, and Jesus didn't say anything about it, so I don't believe it. A red-letter Christian is somebody who doesn't want the correction of the writings of the apostles. He doesn't want his or her behavior to be constricted. I actually had somebody write me uh, just this week, uh, a woman who said, if the church were only focused on the red letters, then women wouldn't be subjugated in the church. Well, two things. Women are not subjugated in the church. They simply can't be pastors. That's the only restriction. And we've got to take the Bible as a whole. So red letter Christians, Tom, are people that don't understand their Bibles at all. They don't understand that what Paul wrote to Timothy or what Jude wrote or what Peter wrote or what any of the other um, New Testament prophets wrote uh, is just as binding, just as inspired, just as as exhortative um, um, as, as anything that was written in the Gospels. And by the way, if a lot of those Christians who claim to be red-letter Christians, would really read those red letters? They'd find a lot of difficulty with some of the things Jesus said. Jesus was tough. And he hated sin. So that's what a red-letter Christian is. Tom, thank you very much. Let's go to Cindy holding on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I'm curious about in the millennium if there'll be animals or not, because it does say somewhere, and I can't find it right now, that a lion will lay down with a lamb. And I'm wondering, is that figuratively? Or if if that is going to be a time when there'll be total peace, because I know you said that that your dog and and my cat are not going to be in heaven. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious about that, and I'll listen on the radio and hang up. And and I I love having the radio program, and I love being back here. Bye. Oh, thanks, Cindy. God bless you, sweetheart. Um, Yeah, the millennial kingdom is earth, life on earth, Um, not heaven, where we're going to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. The millennial kingdom is a thousand years 
and there will be animals. Now, it won't be my dog raised to life, um, but but the, the millennium will be uh, the, a time when the earth is populated with animals. In fact, they will thrive. They will be domesticated. By that, I mean they will be uh, manageable. Um, they won't be eating one another. They won't be carnivorous. Uh, and it does say it's in Isaiah, um, again from uh, Isaiah chapter 60 on, you can read it, but it also has an indication, Isaiah chapter 11, but, but read Isaiah chapter 60 through the end of the, the um, um, prophecy of Isaiah, and you'll get an idea of what it is. It says in, in Isaiah that um, the, the little child will play at the, at the, the home, the hole of a, of a snake, uh, an asp. Uh, a reference, I think, to a cobra, but we can't be sure. But in other words, a poisonous snake, but there won't be any difficulty simply because the curse will be reversed. The curse will be removed from the earth because Jesus will rule and reign. So yes, there will be animals. They will be in abundance. Uh, We will love them. They will love us. And you'll see what harmony is really, really and truly all about. So that's what the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth is going to be. But remember, after that, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. This earth is going to to blow apart. It's going to melt away. And there's going to be a new earth, which will be a perfect, redeemed earth. Perfect. The way it was made in the first place. A paradise. I think for me, Cindy, probably 85 degrees. Perfect. And a new heaven as well. A heaven that we have access to. But for a thousand years, this earth will be glorified, um, redeemed, um, and then replaced after the thousand years are up. So, Cindy, thank you very, very much. Here is a question uh, anonymously. Another. This is from a, a woman. Um, Pastor Ron, is it okay for Christian women to have plastic surgery or breast augmentation? Um, anonymous, of course, it's okay. Uh, this is one of those Romans 14, 23 things. Anything not of faith is sin. Here's the only thing that I would caution you about. Uh, and I've, I've used this exact same um, statement uh, when people ask about tattoos. Just check your motives. Check your motives. They're between you and God, but check your motives. If if you just want to look better or breast augmentation because you want to be sexier, um, examine your motives. If you want to be sexier for your husband, then then, yeah, I would say it's okay. But... If you, if you just want to be more beautiful to the world from, from the standards of the world, then I think we're opening a, a door that can lead to some danger. Uh, I have had women in our church over the years who've come to me, to Paula, and talked about this, uh, and we always just tell them the same thing. Of course, uh, it isn't a sin, but what's your motive for doing it? And that's sort of how we hash through it. These are decisions that need to be made with much, much, much prayer. And if we'll do that, um, then we will close all the doors, the openings for the enemy to, to pound us with guilt after the fact. But but yes, it is okay. Um, you just have to make sure if it's okay for you. And you're going to find the answer in the Word of God and on your knees in prayer in the counsels of God. You know, he may tell you, knowing what you're struggling with, he may tell you that it's fine. But you know what? He just may tell you, Anonymous, that why would you do that? How beautiful you are, my darling. There's no flaw in you. We had a group of young girls. um, They had birthdays. They all turned 13 at the same time. We have a school, and the kids are their friends, and there was a party here for them, and... Um, they started sending pictures and they're all made up. It's just one of those things I'm thinking, why do they need makeup? They're perfect. Now I realize I'm kind of an old dud. But I wonder sometimes if that isn't Jesus' approach when we try to make ourselves pretty. I wonder if he thinks, but she's beautiful to me. 
she takes my breath away. For every woman listening in this audience, please consider that. You take his breath away. He loves you that much. Hope that helps. Here is Rose calling on, oh, I'm sorry, we got, uh, yeah, Rose calling on line one. Rose, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Good evening, Pastor, well, good afternoon, Pastor Ron, and I just so appreciate this radio station, and I love your program, and I love your website. Your website has just been really phenomenal in just being able to answer a lot of questions and give me good, uh, you know, teaching during the week. And uh, I just have a question. I was considering uh, looking, using a little bit more of my Amplified Bible alongside my King James. Would you think that, that you know, the uh, just the expansion of the words and stuff would have validity and, and stuff? Is that a good translation to just, like, use the study aid and, you know, some of the other Greek words that are interchanged like? Or what's your thoughts on that? And I can listen online. Oh, okay, thank you. Thank you, Rose. I appreciate your, your kind comments. You know, we work, uh, we work, <laughs> I'm laughing at myself because it's like we work on our website. I have nothing to do with it. I, I don't know anything. We got, we've been blessed with really, really uh, great tech people here at the church. We always have had them, and, and um, there's a lot of really good information that is for free on our website, and of course, all of our studies, whether it's my studies or some of the stuff that Pastor Ken does. Um, or any guest speakers, it's all there, and uh, it's pretty easy to navigate. That was my one requirement. I've got to be able to find stuff, uh, including my notes. Uh, my study notes are listed on, on our website as well. So as you're going through a, a, a teaching or maybe as you're studying a particular chapter, you can get my study notes on that chapter, and I and, uh, hope all that stuff helps. Um, Rose... Um, the Amplified Bible is not one of my favorites. Um, I don't think it's terrible, but but I don't think it really adds anything. Uh, let me make a suggestion to you. I'm I'm really getting excited. Uh, the more I dig in, um, uh, this takes maybe a little bit of explanation. I don't want to spend much time, but um, I don't like change. And my Bible study program on my computer is really really old. So I have the Living Bible, and, and sometimes the Living Bible is great. But but probably just as often, and this is the point, um, I'm getting excited about the New Living Translation, the NLT, um, be, because I think that would be one that would really help you sort of traverse um, the, the, the difficult Greek words and, and the information. So I would, I would uh, I, I'm not going to condemn the Amplified Bible, but I think the New Living Translation would be a great investment for you. There's something else that I think would be wonderful for you. There's a series of books. Now, I really, really uh, recommend the hardcover books. Um, some of this is available online on, on your computer Bible study programs, but without as much depth. It's Robertson's Word Pictures of the New Testament. It's A.T. Robertson, the, the, the preeminent Greek scholar of our time. Uh, he's gone to be with Jesus now, but but uh, uh, Robertson's word pictures is spectacular as a study tool, and um, and and I can't recommend it highly enough. I'm sure, Rose, that will help you. Thank you very very much. Let's go to um, oh, California, the Bay Area, and talk with William again. William, good to hear from you again. How you doing? Hi, Pastor. Very well, thank you, and uh, happy New Year to you. Thank you. You too. I have uh, two questions, uh, probably very simple for you. Um, my 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 relationship with with Jesus Christ is is blossoming, and that, and that's what I've been striving for. And uh, I'm getting re- rewired uh, with the Holy Spirit. And believe me, I've had some you know nothing huge, but to me they are the big wow moments with the hair up on my arms and, and goosebumps <laughs> and all that. Um, but my, my first question is, um, wh- what is your take on the uh, speaking in tongues? You know, I, the, the Pentecostals, some of those the groups are, you know, when they're 
really filled with the message of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, there was a mention uh, about the speaking in tongues, and I like your take on that. And then my okay. other second question, which is short, is um, uh, Jesus, uh, when he was uh, born of the Virgin Mary, and say when he was a toddler, five, six, seven, eight, how did he address Mary? And I'm going to sign off for now. Okay, thank you, William. Appreciate it very much. Uh, you know, I just taught this past week. Uh, we're, we're in Romans chapter 12, sincere love, and one of the, the the descriptions of sincere love is never to be lacking in zeal, but keeping we- spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. And what you described, the, those those uh, hair raising moments, uh, it's it's way more than goosebumps. It's just a passion for Jesus, and I'm really really thrilled. Um, you don't sound like a kid. I don't. I'm sure you're not as old as I am. But at the same time, um, you know, the older we get, the more passionate for Jesus we ought to be. And uh, I love hearing that. So thank you for sharing that. Um, the gift of tongues. It's a gift that I have. I've been blessed with the gift of tongues. Um, the problem that you you have with tongues, especially when you're going to you describe Pentecostal churches or even extreme charismatic churches. Uh, is that they're 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 not governed by the Holy Spirit? Uh, it's just a bunch of nonsense, and we know it's nonsense because when you go into a church and everybody's speaking in tongues at the same time, um, uh, Paul forbids that in writing to the Corinthians, First Corinthians twelve. And by the way, the churches in Corinth were were out of control churches, and he says no, two or three at the most, and always and only with an interpretation. So. Um, when you when you walk into church and see everybody speaking in tongues, there may be a lot of goosebumps, but there isn't any Holy Spirit. That's very, very important. The gift of tongues is for today, but it is an individual gift. I call it the vertical gift. All the other gifts are horizontal gifts. They're, they're meant to bless other believers. But the gift of tongues is a vertical gift. It edifies only the prayer. And when you are using the gift of tongues, um, you're trusting God by faith, even if you don't have the gift of interpretation and don't understand what you're praying for, you're simply putting your prayer time, at least a portion of it, in the hands of God. So prayer should be individual. The only exception uh, to tongues being used in um, a corporate setting is if there is... Um, um, a time set aside where the gift of tongues is exercised, as I said, only two or three at the most, and always with an interpretation. If there are no more interpretations, the one speaking in tongues is to sit down. And you can see, William, based on your experience at the, the um, churches uh, that are out of control, um, have lost their way in this area. It's a great, great gift, and they've ruined it for so many because uh, instinctively we know it's just silliness. It's just nonsense when we see tongues being exercised uh, by a bunch of people in church. With regard to what Jesus called his mother, whatever the, 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 the sort of cute Hebrew word as he was growing up for mom or mama would be, that's what he would have called her. Before he called her Mary, he, he wouldn't have known until... Uh, she sort of changed the relationship, do what he says um, at the wedding of Cana, she said, uh, listen to him. Uh, and when, of course, she realized that Jesus was her savior as well, um, then the relationship would have changed. That's when on the cross, Jesus gave care of his mother to the apostle John. So I hope that helps, William. Thank you. And I'm thrilled to hear that your relationship with the Lord is just blossoming above uh, above and beyond. Let's go to Divine Texas and talk with Dolores on line two. Dolores, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Yes, I just, I wanted to share about, you know, the women that uh, want to spread documentation. Did you hear me? Oh, yes, okay. Uh, I have sister-in-laws who's, and a niece who, whose breasts were very, very tiny. They were like a size A cup. They never, their breasts never grew very big, and they all went in and had their breasts, you know, enlarged. But they didn't have these huge breasts. I mean, they had just a, well, like a bigger cup so they could have breasts. But then I've seen other women who who have like a C cup, 
and they wear a double D, you know, huge cup. <laughs> they don't they don't realize what they're doing. I I had two sisters who were B cups, and I always prayed that my breast would shrink <laughs> because every time I had a child, I I started off with a C cup when I got married. And my, after my first son, my breast grew to a size D. After my second son, they grew to a double D. And <laughs> I was in so much pain always. They never oh. went down. And uh, they are heavy. They they hurt your back. You can't you. run or play or do anything. Yeah. So unless you're going to do it for, for you know, uh, for vanity. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Dolores. That's all, all things in moderation. That's sort of one of my mottos for life. Thank you, Dolores. I appreciate you caring enough about people to to offer that kind of counsel. You know, in fact, one of the the the, the people that came to us in years past was coming to us for breast reduction surgery. And and she was experiencing the same kind of things that Dolores was talking about. Again, these are are individual decisions that we're free to make between us and God. Again, if you examine your motive, it's not to be bigger or to be more exciting. Um, um, Lord, how can I best serve you? And uh, again, if you understand Jesus thinks you're perfect, I think that would help a lot. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Let's go to Tanya in San Leandro. Tanya, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I know we're running out of time. So first of all, it was great to see you, Mama Paula. I love you guys. I miss you tremendously. Um, but I have a question about um, when to. Uh, one of the biggest things that I'm finding in, in sharing with people is uh, um, biblical illiteracy, and I believe it starts obviously at home. And um, when I'm, what is the recommended time to start introducing uh, the children? I mean, do I stick with Veggie Tales until a certain age? And I understand that every child is, um, you know, different in mat- in maturity. And we always think the best of our kids, right? Our kids are the smartest, yada 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 yada. But um, my question to you is, when do you think it's a good time? And it's because, or am I just being oversensitive? Are they are they ready to take it on to know about Samson and Delilah, to know about all, uh, Hosea, all these things? <laughs> um, you know, it seems kind of an adult. So I really wanted to get your take on uh, when the proper introduction is uh, to these types of stories. And if Veggie Tales is it, then it's Veggie Tales. But if you could give me some, imp- some help on that, Pastor Ron, I'd really appreciate it. I can do it, Tanya. Thank you. And we, we so love to see you. I didn't want to let you and your family go, so please come back. We, we, Texas needs you. We need you. But thank you very, very much. Uh, I can answer the question. You know, the Bible says it's living and active. What that means is it meets you where you are. And, and Tanya, and I hope this doesn't sound like I'm trying to be super spiritual. That's not the case. But I think the time to introduce your babies to the Word is in the womb. Um, to the Word is in the womb. And I'm very purposeful in saying that because a lot of your babies that that, that I get to hold them after they're born, they know my voice. They've been listening to me teach the Bible for the nine months they've spent in mom's stomach. And and it just shows it's a supernatural work. Now we say, oh, they can't understand. Uh, until you look at the face of one of these little babies who recognizes my voice and, and immediately gets comfortable, you understand then the supernatural power of God. So, so with babies who are out of the womb, uh, we teach our children here at all levels, verse by verse through the Bible. Now, obviously, we do it at their level. We make it entertaining. Uh, with the tiny, tiny ones, it's accompanied with little projects and things, but we teach the Word. So, Tanya, I think from the very beginning, again, because the Word is living and active, it'll meet them where they need to be met. Uh, it, it won't be necessary to answer a lot of questions about Samson and Delilah or reading the Song of Solomon. You won't have to go into any detail. They won't have the, the basis upon which to ask much in the way of of uncomfortable questions. But I can promise you this, if you read the Bible to them, they'll be prepared earlier and ready to hear when they do have those questions. 
So uh, I, I just think we read them the Bible. It doesn't have to be long. We understand short attention spans, but read them the Bible. They'll come up with great questions. We get four- and five-year-olds that call this radio program from time to time, and, and the questions they have are really, really important questions to them. So that's what I would suggest. Now, I'm not anti-Veggie Tales. I'm not anti-Children's Stories. I think especially the children's Bibles that give overviews of the children's story, uh, Jonah and the, the, the great fish, um, um, Daniel in the lion's den, I think that sort of overview background is good. Certainly, you can supplement, and, and I would use those books to teach your children to read as young as, as you want to start. We've got three-year-olds who are reading through books. Uh, we, we one time had a five-year-old who memorized a, a large portion of the, the, the NIV years ago and just blew me away. So equip them. Again, the, the, the Veggie Tales is fine. Watching the videos or reading the books, uh, the, the children's overview is, is fine. But um, given the foundation from which they can grow, and that's in the Word, just read it. Again, tailor it to the time that they can sit still, um, develop a dialogue. Uh, the questions that they'll ask will be an unbelievable blessing to you. Now, let me tell you why this matters so much to me, and I'm inside a minute, so I'll do this quickly. I have a good friend who's been going to a big church here in town for two years now. He doesn't know what it means to be born again. And that kind of biblical illiteracy, there's no excuse for with the materials that we have available to us. The Word, the Word, the Word. Tanya, thank you very, very much. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Tomorrow I will be back, Lord willing, at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. See you then. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.